Welcome to the Friday Five here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. It's our weekly list of five things you should know about. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel. Happy Good Friday to you. It has been a week of the weather warming up, interesting twists, two stories we're following, and just general springy goodness. Personally, I love this time of year. It's great to see all of nature starting to bloom again. The grass is almost back to being green. There's a renewing vibe in the air. And I've been getting the urge to clean all the things, air out the house, get rid of all the junk, all those fun spring cleaning chores. But let's talk about what happened this week, shall we? Number one on our list. We all know that mental health awareness has been growing, and more and more official groups are starting to research how our kids are doing, especially with the isolation brought about by the pandemic. The United States Preventive Services Task Force, a group of volunteer experts that was established in 1984, has released proposed guidelines on addressing mental health in children. They recommend screening for anxiety in children and adolescents from ages 8 to 18, in addition to screening for depression and suicide risk in that same age group. Now, it's important to note that this group, the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, is independent of the U.S. government, even though it was created by Congress. Clinicians in the field tend to take the recommendations the task force makes seriously, and they're really looking at that 8 to 18-year-old age range, adding in some questions surrounding anxiety and depression that could potentially be included in wellness visits in the future. The idea is that by asking about anxiety, that would open the door for conversation into other areas hopefully creating a safe place to discuss these issues with professionals. The evidence review recommends focusing on detecting issues early as a means to prevent complications later in life, like behavioral problems, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. These new screenings wouldn't result in a diagnosis, per se. That's a bit more involved than what the task force is looking for here. Ideally, the screenings would identify kids who need a little extra help and provide more direction towards what that support could look like and where to find it. Number two, this week we got the official numbers for March and the consumer price index increased 8.5%, just 0.1% higher than expert estimates of 8.4%. So what does that mean? Well, inflation is basically at a 40-year high, a level that we have not seen since December 1981, when the CPI hit 8.9%. According to reports, the increase was largely due to gas prices and food prices going up. Although, with oil reserves now entering the market, we're seeing gas prices start to come down. Experts are hoping that the March report will be the peak of our current inflation surge, but that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Chief economist at RSM US, Joe Brusuelis, put it this way, quote, Yes, inflation may soon find its peak, 
However, that does not imply significant relief is on the way in the near term, end quote. The next Fed meeting is on the books for early May, and experts are expecting to see two back-to-back half-point increases to interest rates, one in that May meeting and another at the meeting scheduled for mid-June. Number three. In last week's episode, we talked about Elon Musk buying a 9.2% stake in Twitter at the cost of $3 billion. In addition to the news that Musk was now the largest individual shareholder, Twitter announced that Musk would have a seat on the board. And then less than a week later, CEO Parag Agrawal announced that Musk had decided to not join the board after discussions with himself and other board members. But the story is far from over, of course, because it's Elon Musk. If you're scratching your head wondering why such a large buy-in to Twitter, well, there's chatter around that. Interestingly enough, with a seat on the board, Musk couldn't really stage a takeover. But apparently, if he's not on the board... That puts that option back on the table. There were a few pieces this week that outlined what a hostile takeover of Twitter might look like should Musk decide that's what he wants to do. And then there was also the announcement of a class action lawsuit over the delay in Musk filing paperwork announcing his purchase of all those Twitter shares. So apparently, Musk should have had that paperwork filed on March 24th, but the disclosure was only made on April 4th. Upon news of Musk's large purchase of shares, Twitter's stock prices naturally rose, almost 30%. Those who sold stock during the period of time between March 24th and April 4th allege that they lost money because of Musk's actions, which they claim were illegal. So there's a lot going on right now surrounding the new chapter of the relationship between Elon Musk and Twitter. And honestly, this story will likely continue to play out. And if I'm being honest, I will be over here with my popcorn watching as it does. Number four. I have been getting a ridiculous amount of text spam lately. Now, at first, I thought it was a new group chat I joined during a friend's birthday party. Then I wondered if it was a new connection on Facebook Messenger. Now, I'm pretty sure I've figured out the problem. And it turns out I'm not the only one. No special snowflake here, at least not when it comes to that. According to a very helpful article in the New York Times, spammy scam messages sent over text messaging were up 30% in March compared to February. 11.6 billion scam messages were sent during the month. Just for fun, I did a little math. That breaks down to over 374 million messages per day. Over 15 million messages per hour. I'm rounding them off now. Almost 260,000 per minute and then over 4,000 per second. I have been getting multiple messages a day. Some of them have been sent out to multiple numbers in hopes of, I think, emulating a group chat. Some are single messages from one phone number. 
Some are even from email addresses. But I've found a few ways to hopefully fight back against the spam. I'm not sure if it will stop the messages coming through, but at least I feel like I'm doing something about it that's helpful. So first up, I have an iPhone, and apparently you can sort your text messages into two different folders. Those from known senders in your phone, so people you have in your contact list, and then another bucket with those from unknown senders. My messages were not set up that way by default. I had to go to settings, then messages, and toggle on filter unknown senders. You can then view your text messages all together if you'd like, or you can look at them in those two filtered folders, known senders and unknown senders. And what I love about applying these filters is that you shouldn't lose messages. Yes, some messages that you want will end up in the unknown sender folder. Two-factor authentications and push notification text messages are two that come to mind immediately. Those usually tend to come from four, five, or six-digit numbers, though, so that's how you can tell that they are from a commercial entity that you've either requested something from or that you've given permission to contact you. You can still go in that unknown sender's folder and retrieve the info that you need, but it will also grab those spammy texts that you don't want to interact with at all. So how can you deal with those? First up, identifying them. Look at the phone number that they come from, because usually it's made up of 10 or more digits, sometimes even an email address. Also, there are usually tons of misspellings. Those misspelled words are in there because the scammer is trying to get around spam filters put in place by wireless carriers. And then don't forget about content and context. Misspelled and wonky-looking website links are really scammers' bread and butter. And then, of course, getting a text about a product that you didn't order or a service that you didn't request. It is not legit. It is a scam. So what do you do when you get one of these texts? You can certainly delete them. That's an option. But you can also report the text message using the universal spam reporting function. Just forward the message to 7726, and for fun, that does spell out spam on the keypad. Once you've done that, you can go into the settings for that email or phone number and block the caller from contacting you again. I've just started filtering my messages and reporting a lot of the spammy texts I've been getting, so fingers crossed that it will work for me. We will be linking to an article that outlines all of these processes that I just mentioned in our notes, so be sure to check that out. There's info in there for Apple users and for Android users. And honestly, this would make a great share on your social media accounts for your clients or even content for your client newsletter. Number five, late last week, Spotify announced more features for CarThing the control panel for Spotify premium users that I may or may not have expressed a previous interest in. And that was before these new features, which quite honestly, 
only made me want to get one even more. You can now use CarThing to answer or dismiss incoming phone calls, and you can also add music and playlists to the queue from the CarThing device. That last one is something my daughter asks for all the time when we play a new song or we get to the end of the list and Spotify recommends something new. I would much rather have a mounted interface for those actions than having to constantly pick up my phone. So like I said, and maybe if you were listening closely, you might have picked up on this. It made me more interested. I did finally make the decision to put in my order when writing this episode. I am very excited to get my hands on CarThing and see if it lives up to the hype. And of course, guarantee that I will be bringing my review and thoughts back here for a future episode of our Friday Five. That brings us to this week's RuPaul Recommends. We have just kicked off spring break at my house. So of course, that means finding things both seasonal and non-seasonal to occupy my daughter while I don't have off on the same days. Tomorrow, Lego Friends drops on Netflix, so that will give her something new to watch there. I will say we started watching The Ghost and Molly McGee on Disney Plus recently, and I've enjoyed watching those episodes with her. It's not always easy to find kids shows like that. We will probably be watching Hop at least once this weekend, and then we're taking on the task of creating carrot cake cookies because she loves carrot cake, and I'm always up for making something into a cookie. We will report our findings either on Instagram or back here in next week's episode, so look forward to that. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Tina Lamaru. Artwork by Vivian Zhao. 